We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Shelia Sharp left the residence of her next door neighbor in the morning of April 12th, 1981, and went back to her cabin at Cabin 28 in the Keddie Resorts in California. What the 14-year-old girl found inside the modest four-room cabin soon became one of the most ghastly sights in contemporary American crime. Her mother, Glenna Sushart, her teenage brother John, his high school friend uh, Dana Wingate were all found dead inside cabin 28. The three had either been brutally stabbed, strangled, or bludgeoned. They had been restrained with medical and electrical tape. Um, But most unsettling of all, Tina Sharp, Sheila's 12-year-old sister, was nowhere to be found. This is the unsolved case of the Keddie Cabin murders. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Horror House. It's Dom, and please, as always, take this as your reminder that you are a lovely, lovely, lovely human being. You are a beautiful person. You're doing amazing things. And thank you, as always, for the support you give this show. Uh, We wouldn't be able to do it without you. And you're always supporting, whether you're a day one, whether you're new, whether you know you've listened this is your first episode hello welcome um thank you for the support we are forever grateful um so today is a very special episode um because we have a guest on um someone who has been on on the show a few times and is always a joy uh to record with and that is the lovely carly carly thank you for coming on today hello thank you for having me no problem. Pleasure to be here and hear about this terrible murder. Murders. Murders. Me. Yes, it's Murders. it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty. It's pretty grim. I'm not gonna lie. Um, it is. I'm thrilled. I was sorting through my memory files. I was like, something about this is familiar, but I can't recall any of the details. So I'm actually like, I'm super excited because I know something about. The, I know I've heard it somewhere. I've either watched it on a true crime show or heard it on another podcast, but I did not retain any of the information. So it's like brand new. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, and like I say, it's a it's a bit of a grim one. So fortunately for the people that are watching on YouTube, your dog is asleep in the background. Just focus on the dog. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this together. We will. We will through it. The dog can be our our saving grace. <laughs> Dogs everywhere are doing their duty. Mine That's is it. actually right behind me. Right, I don't. I was like, "That's so perfect." Like, do not do not leave the room. Dog. Don't worry. Stay in the dog the room. is here. Stay. <laughs> Protect me. <laughs> um. So, um. Obviously, uh. It's a bit of a change to to uh, the original um, plan. Unfortunately, Amy is swamped uh, with work stuff, bless her, um, and she wasn't able to um, record today. So, fortunately, Carly 
was able to to come on um and we're gonna we're gonna be talking about an unsolved uh murder so i'm very excited um very very excited so carly um before we get started uh you have had some awesome awesome stuff happen to you recently with regards to some projects would you like to share I have. Uh, my first novel is out now. It's called A Collection of Eyes. Um, you can find it on Amazon. Right now, it's only available as an ebook, but the paperback will be coming soon. Um, and I would love it if you would read it. It's about a serial killer. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a project that I really, really love. I've been working on it for quite some time. Um, and then next up the pipe is uh, an anthology of short horror stories that um, I curated with my friend Mallory Sawinski, who is Coffee Books and Ghosts on Instagram. Um, we put out a call for anybody who wanted to submit a short horror story to us, and we made a lovely little collection of terrible things. <laughs> <laughs> I love and, it. <laughs> yeah, that will be released as an ebook and the paperback on September 18th. And you can pre order the ebook now. So amazing. Yay. Amazing. Very, very good things. Okay. Yes. Wonderful. Are you ready to get stuck into this befuddling case? So ready. Yes. Wonderful. Um, so, uh, Glenna, Susan, Sue, Sharp. Um, born March the 29th, 1945 in Springfield, Massachusetts. I don't know if I butchered that. I have a feeling that you I might have right. got that. Massachusetts, you're Massachusetts. right. <laughs> Good. Um, <laughs> Leo and Stephen from Spores of Horror, if you're listening, I got that right. So don't come at me. Um, <laughs> together with her five um, children would leave their Connecticut home in July 1979 after divorcing James Sharp. Um, who was her abusive husband. Um, her brother, Don, was living in Northern California at the time, so she made the decision to move there. Uh, she started renting a modest trailer, the Claremont Trailer Village in Quincy, California, um, which had previously been occupied by her brother. Um, and then finally, uh, the next fall, uh, or for us Brits, autumn, um, she relocated to Keddy, um, a small rural tourist town in the Sierra Nevada. Uh, the house, which was much bigger than the trailer, uh, was now available since Sylvester Douglas Thomas, um, the previous sheriff of Plumas County, vacated his residence. I was going to say it's probably not that difficult for a house to be bigger than a trailer. Hey, you know, I was thinking that this is like before the tiny house craze, <laughs> so, especially in America where everybody wants bigger and better houses. I feel like that started in the 80s where yeah. it was like, let's build these monstrosities and call it home. Let's build these yeah, you know, I don't know how hard it would be to have a house bigger than a trailer unless it was a, a, a massive trailer. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe it was like a deluxe king size trailer like this, this palace like a... on wheels. Yeah, you you know, it could happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in this new house, um, she would reside with her 15-year-old 15 15 year son, John, 14-year-old daughter, Sheila, 
12-year-old daughter, Tina, and her two younger sons, Rick and Greg. That's way too many kids in one place. I'm sorry. That's a lot of kids. That's a lot of kids. I have three kids and I feel like that's a lot of kids. That's like the name just kept going on and on right. and on. That's a lot of kids. I know people with five kids. So, <laughs> but when you hear it listed like that, it really is like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So many. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, I mean, and to be fair, that's not the most, you know, we've had a few cases where someone's, you know, been like, uh, I've just reeled off like 10 names. Um, and they're all their children. And it's like, why would you do that to yourself? So many. So many. <laughs> Adults against spawning. That's my campaign. Adults against spawning. <laughs> oh, dear. Put <laughs> that on a t-shirt and sell it as merch. <laughs> it needs to go on a t-shirt. Adults against spawning. Oh, dear. We have enough people. <laughs> uh, but, so uh, Rick was attending baseball tryouts at the at Gansner, Gansner Field in Quincy uh, on April the 11th, 1981 at around 11.30 a.m. Uh, Sue, Sheila and Greg travelled from the home of their friends, the Meeks family, uh, to pick them up. Um, at the Canyon's mouth, um, where they were hitchhiking from Quincy to Keddy, they would come upon John and his friend um, Dana Hall Wingate, um, they picked uh, them up and took the 6.8 miles or so drive to Keddy. Um, at around 3.30 p.m., two hours later, John and Dana hitchhiked their way back to Quincy, where they might have had arrangements to visit friends. Um, and the two were spotted in the city's center about this time. Um, I always cringe, especially during this time period when I hear the word they hitchhiked. I'm just like, don't, don't hitchhike. There's so many bad stories with hitchhiking. Don't pick up a hitchhiker. Don't hitchhike. Have we learned nothing from Ted Bundy or exactly. any of the others? <laughs> exactly. I'm like, how many active serial killers were there this time? Like, what are you doing? It probably oh, was just so Lord. easy for them, too, because nobody locks their doors. Kids could just roam around willy nilly. <laughs> yeah. And people were asking complete yeah. strangers for rides. Technically, we do that with Uber now, but, you know, at least they're verified. I yeah. Don't know. <laughs> the, it's true, though. Like, the, the amount of times I'll watch, like, a um, a murder documentary um, on Netflix or something, and it would be, like, one from the 70s or the 80s, and they'll be like, oh, you know... During this time period, we didn't lock our doors and our neighbors just like freely walked in. And it's like, well, that's the fucking issue. Lock your door. What are you doing? Lock your doors. Lock them. I'll keep them locked. It's like it happens regularly here that I, I grew up with it grilled in my head to always lock the door immediately after yeah. you when you come inside. So it's like a, it's a pretty common place thing for someone in this household to like walk outside to like throw the trash away or something come back and the door's locked because someone else has watered by and been like why is the door unlocked <laughs> like, it's so bad like even, it happens <laughs> even when like even when i like take out the bins and leave the front door open i'm literally outside for about 10 seconds and i'm looking around being like yep. someone someone might actually walk into my house <laughs> <laughs> My brain works the exact same way, so this makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> oh, dear. 
Um, so uh, Sue would remain at home with Rick, Greg, and the boy's young friend, Justin Smart, while Sheila was scheduled to spend the night with the Seabolt family, uh, who resided in a nearby house. Um, shortly after 8pm, Sheila would leave um, the house, leaving her mother to look after the smaller kids um, by herself. At around 9.30pm, Sheila arrived at the Seabolt's house to spend the night, and Tina, who had been watching television there, would go back to cabin number 28. The scene has been set. The background has been backgrounded. Um, would you like to dive into the nitty gritty should we get to the meat and bones it would but was this like was this like a camp like a campgrounds type thing where like you rented a cabin and there's just like rows of cabins i believe so i believe a a long-term stay cabin rental thing because when you said number 28 i was picturing just like a cabin in the middle of nowhere but now i'm thinking like more like summer camp style, but with larger, larger cabins, like yeah. Camp Crystal Lake, but yeah. make it livable. <laughs> camp Crystal Lake, but not like murdery. <laughs> but not murdery. Surprise twist. There's murder. Yeah. <laughs> not murdery, but you could also get murdered. <laughs> not murdery, but also never trust a cabin in the woods. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, so Sheila would go back to cabin 28 at around 7 a.m. Um, on the 8th, April the 12th and would find Sue, John, and Dana's dead bodies in the living room. Um, Rick, Greg, and Justin, the three smaller children, were uninjured in a nearby bedroom while the three older children had been bound with medical tape and electrical cord. Um, the three little... Uh, ch- or the three younger um the younger children were supposed to have slept through the incident according to the initial accounts uh however this would later be refuted sheila returned to the seabolt's home as soon as she saw the scene and jamie seabolt quickly uh rescued nick greg and justin via the bedroom window um later he i know right that sounds like some superhero shit rescuing via windows (laughs) yeah It does sound like some superhero right. shit. We could go. We'd have so many spawns. That that came in handy this time. Uh, but later, he would acknowledge uh, peeking inside the house through the back door to see whether anyone was still alive, uh, potentially tainting the evidence. So that wasn't very superhero behavior, was it? Um, like, God damn it, Jamie. Like, good. <laughs> well done for rescuing the three, but also you tainted but the also, evidence. Like, way to well go. Done. <laughs> it's unsolved. <laughs> this is all your fault, Jamie. God uh, damn it. That was very hero blamey of me. <laughs> uh, so the killings of Sue, John, and Dana were particularly brutal. Uh, two bloodied knives and a hammer were discovered at the crime scene. Um, oh no. And one of the blades, um, a steak knife, Jesus, uh, was later revealed to have been used in the killings um, and had been bent. At so a... three knives, three knives and a hammer then. Three hammers are, that's some next level stuff. That freaks me out. Three knives. Um, <laughs> not, not only was it three knives and a hammer, um, the steak knife were, was bent at an angle of about 30 degrees. So he, wow. he was, he was 
stabby 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 yeah stabby. the living room was the location of sue john and dana's killings according to blood splatter evidence found inside the home um sue was discovered naked from the waist down uh, gagged with a blue bandana and her own underwear that had been taped together lying on her side close to the living room sofa and this is why i realized i probably should have put in some sort of trigger warning because <laughs> whoops <laughs> <laughs> trigger warning bladed here's your trigger warning <laughs> yes um trigger warning uh i know it's it's kind of late now um but trigger warning yeah this this ain't going to be good so uh, her spine and chest um had been um cut and she had been stabbed in the chest and the throat um on the side of her skull there was an imprint that matched the butt of a daisy um 880 power line uh, bb slash pellet gun i don't know how big a daisy 880 power line bb slash pellet gun is but the fact that it either. left an imprint on her skull yeah the only thing what's that one christmas movie with the kid bunny suit you know what i'm talking about Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's yeah, put yeah. your eye out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my frame of reference for this. So, like, I, I could see it. I could see it. Okay. Okay. I mean, you're, you're probably right. I just sort of, on first glance, I was like, yeah. what? a BB gun? <laughs> like, <laughs> damn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, John had his throat cut, um, and Dana was killed by... Uh, being manually strangled and had multiple head wounds. Um, a hammer, or hammers, caused blunt force injuries to John and Dana's skulls. Um, Sue He's... and right, um, Sue and John died from knife wounds and um, blunt force trauma, and Dana died. Uh, Dana passed away from as- asphyxiation. Oh my mm-hmm. god, I got that right. I never get you that did. right. Um, <laughs> according to autopsies, that's like. One word that constantly trips me. I, I did that quite well. I have a few of those. Yeah. One of mine is scythe, which I finally I I finally mastered it because I just had to record it like over and over again because I kept fucking it up. <laughs> but scythe, scythe and uh, orphanage. If I'm like, apparently I can say it just fine right now. But when I'm reading it and trying to say it out loud, my brain and yeah. my mouth do things. And, yeah. you know, I have a whole list of those <laughs> forever mispronouncing things. <laughs> And I'll find, like, I do it on, like, really simple words as well. Oh, yeah. And I'm just oh, like, yeah. I say this word every day. But, yeah, yeah. when I hit record, yeah. my, my you know, capabilities of English seem to just disappear. <laughs> my, that's exactly what happens to me. And then I'm like, guys, buy my books. I'm an author. I know I sound illiterate, but <laughs> I know English. <laughs> <laughs> I can speak. (laughs) So um, among all of this um, carnage, I think it's fair to say, um, it would take the police hours to realize that there was a fourth victim. Um, However, this fourth victim, being 12-year-old Tina, was nowhere to be found. Poor Tina. Um, A couple residing in nearby house... Um, or nearby cabin uh, 16 uh, was awakened at 1 15 a.m by what appeared to be muffled screaming um, 
Sheila and the Seabolt family, with whom Sheila had spent the night in the neighbouring home, uh, did not notice any disturbances during the night. Uh, the residence, which had no size of entry, of forced entry, sorry, um, was missing Tina's jacket, shoes, and a toolbox with a variety of equipment. Um, the draperies were drawn, the telephone line was off the hook, and the connection to the outlet had been severed. The primary suspect and neighbour, Martin Smart, asserted that his home's claw hammer had mysteriously um, got up and walked away, oh, essentially. Wow. Um, you know, how handy is that? Your hammer is lost. <laughs> right. And these people just got hammered to death. <laughs> they got bludgeoned and stabbed. That's yeah. like way overkill. One of those weapons would have done, yeah. sir. But what, you know, how handy? How did How did this guy not get caught if yeah. he's like, Living next door is like, Hammer, I don't have one of those. It's lost. It's been lost for ages. Yeah. Ages. It's a bit fishy. Um, obviously, Martin Smart him. has some sort of Disney hammer that just, you know, gets up and walks away whenever it wants to do. Um, Sheriff Sylvester Thomas of the Plumas County, um, California Police Department, um, who oversaw the case, later remarked that Martin had offered, quote, endless clues that appeared to, quote, throw the suspicion away from him. So he's looking a little bit sus. Uh, yep. He's a bit yep. shifty Just a little. Moment. Just a little, you know. <laughs> Just a little. Oh, Martin. Uh, so uh, Justin presented uh, different accounts of the events of the evening, um, claiming to have dreamed about the murders, but later claiming to have actually seen them. Uh, he claimed to have awoken to sounds or sounds coming from the living room while sound asleep in the bedroom with Rick and Greg in a later version of the story he told while under hypnosis. I don't mean to scoff at this whole giving out of evidence while under hypnosis. I'll scoff at it I because just... it, it, you can like getting yourself into a hypnotized state like that's a thing. But then if someone like you don't know what been suggested to you is the trouble like you can plant false memories you can mess with your memories so yes could you uncover memories technically yeah but you would need to do it without an outside influence and how do you even do that <laughs> yeah. like, if you're asking questions like that it's it's so likely it's been studied it's been so it's so likely that you're going to remember something wrong or like that's not yeah 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 yeah. I'm scoffing outwardly. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to hide it. <laughs> so investigating these sounds, uh, he, Justin, uh, would see Sue with two men. Um, he discovered Sue talking to these two men, one of whom had a mustache and short hair, and the other had long hair and was clean shaven, um, and both wore spectacles. Two spectacled murderous men. <laughs> Two bespectacled men wielding knives and hammers on the cold evening of whatever date this was <laughs> in the 80s. Carly's just flexing her author, you know, author skills right there. <laughs> I just feel like two men with glasses. Why is that unreasonable to me? I don't know. I wear glasses. But the, like... <laughs> It just—it's like that detail, though. He's just like two murderous men wielding axes, you know, and glasses—not axes, sorry, knives, hammers, 
and glasses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so uh, according to uh, Justin, John and Dana then entered the home and began heatedly arguing with these two bespeckled, bespeckled, spectacled men. Um, a fight would ensue, after which Tina entered the room and was taken out of the cabin's back door by one of these men. Allegedly, a lot of potential evidence was collected at the scene, um, but unfortunately, this was pre-DNA testing. Um, so very, very little help helpful information would be found um, from this evidence. Oh, that pesky DNA. So high maintenance. And you know, oh. DNA should really get it together. Like, I don't know <laughs> what to say about this, but why <laughs> DNA? Why? Why must you be this way, DNA? Why? why? <laughs> um, so, so Harlan, Harlan Embry um, would create a composite sketch of the two unidentified individuals based on Justin's description, um, which, which is great. They've got some, they're going to get some composite sketches together. They're going to get them out there. We're going to be like, yeah, you've seen these people. Tips will come flooding in. Case solved. Happy days. Um, well, everyone wins. <laughs> everyone wins. Um, well, unfortunately, Harlan Embry lacked artistic talent and didn't actually have a background at all in forensic sketching. Well, that sounds like a bummer from start to finish. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we need we really need a sketch artist to come in and take these details. Bring in the new guy. He's never done this before. Right. There's literally. This is not high stakes at all. Bring in the new guy. No. Yeah, it's it's a bit um, it's a bit come on, a bit lackadaisical, and we're used to bad police work on horror house. I think ninety five percent of the cases we talk about, the police are just a bit inept and can't do things properly, or just don't do things at all. Um, yeah. And hard agree. Once again, <laughs> once again, this is a. I I want to. I want to know, like, what superintendent was like, cool, so why don't we get a composite sketch together of these two men, and I'm picturing, like, a boardroom situation, like, the superintendent was like, right, get a composite sketch together of these two men, and we'll get it out there, and everything will be fine, everything will be fine, we'll bring in someone who's got some really artistic talent, who's done forensic sketching before, it's all going to be good, um, and then, like, someone was like, uh, we, yeah, we can't, we can't find that. There's no one. We've checked the yellow pages. We can't find anything. Can't find a single person in the art of drawing. Can't find a single person. And then one of them's like, I mean, there's, there's Harlan. He's got no background in forensic sketching and he doesn't really have that uh, much artistic talent. And the superintendent was like, yes, <laughs> bring That's him in. One. <laughs> That's the one. Will he do it for free? That's probably what sold it. He's like, we're on a very tight budget right now. How probably. are we supposed to afford <laughs> this artist? And then that guy's like, I'll just, I'll do it for free. I can add it to my resume. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the suspects were described um, as being in their late 20s to early 30s. One was between 5 foot 11 and 6 foot 2 um, with dark blonde hair. And the other was between five foot six and five foot ten, uh, with black greased hair in press releases that were published alongside the sketches. Um, 
and both wore sunglasses with gold frames. So uh, Sheriff Doug Thomas of the Plumas County uh, Police Department dispelled rumours that the killings were ritualistic or driven by drug trafficking um, when he said that no drug paraphernalia or illegal narcotics, narcotics were discovered in the house uh, the week after the killings. Uh, a family friend named Carla McMullen uh, later ad- admitted to police that Dana Wingate had stolen um, an unspecified amount of LSD from nearby drug traffickers, but she was unable to produce oh. any evidence to support her claim. Well, you know, that seems like a safe move. There's not so many movies and books on TV shows on why stealing from drug traffickers is a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing nothing can go wrong if you steal from a drug trafficker. Nope, nope. Perfectly solid plan, if you ask me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, the case would take over 4,000 man hours um, to complete. according to Thomas. Uh, Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole, uh, two serial murders, were ruled out as suspects in December 1983. And it would be another three years after the Keddie murders that Tina would be finally found. The FBI uh, initially looked into Tina's disappearance as a potential kidnapping. Um, but on... Uh, April the 29th, 1981, it was reported that the FBI had backed off the search because the California State Department of Justice was doing an adequate job and made the FBI's presence unnecessary. An adequate job. Everything about this seems perfectly adequate to me. (laughs) Of course, of course. Of course, the FBI was like, no, 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 no. Look at the guy they got drawing this composite sketch. Like, (laughs) clearly. They have it handled. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Not not like Tina's disappearance or anything. That's hilarious. That's terrible. That's atrocious. Um, but it's hilarious that the FBI were like, ah, they're, they're doing all right. We'll, we'll, we'll leave them. We'll, they're doing all right. They're fine. They're fine. Clearly, they have it in hand. Look at their creative solutions <laughs> that they've brought up with. You reckon, like the they they sent like the FBI like a a case update, and then like all they got all they got back was, "You're doing amazing, sweetie. You're doing so good." <laughs> oh, okay. So the FBI has deemed this. Uh, they don't need to come in they because they're doing that. a great job. No. Right, right. They don't. They right. don't need to come into work today. Because yep. they're do it, they're 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 fine on their own apparently, um, you know, because they're doing an amazing job, um, getting a very talented sketch artist in, and then oh, they're doing so good, you know, <laughs> amazing. They're doing so great. <laughs> um, so the police, uh, so police hounds would search a five mile radius around the residence in a grid layout, um, but the um, search was proved to be unsuccessful. Uh, A cranial piece of human skull and a portion of jaw were found on April the 22nd, 1984. The county sheriff's office got an anonymous call shortly after making the announcement that the remains, uh, unfortunately, did belong to Tina, um, but the call was not recorded in in the case. Uh, A deputy 
who was given the case at some point after 2013, discovered a recording of this call at the base of an evidence box. I mean, they've lost so much evidence (laughs) in this case. Just like start to finish. What? There's no recording. Surprise. Guess what? There's a copy of the recording that we just lost in this box and we rediscovered it. How exciting is that? What happened to the original? First of all. Did nobody label it? Like, how how was this even discovered? Were they like, what the fuck is on this cassette tape? And then just played it and been like, oh, turns out that's very important. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They're like, um, they're like, oh, we've we found we found a new piece of evidence. Um, And everyone's really excited. And they're like, oh, you know, we found a recording, found a tape recording. Um, It's really important. And they're like, how long is that? been there and they're just like um you know the whole time don't worry about it we don't know (laughs) yeah Yeah. so they're like they're like it's not important don't focus on how long we've had it we've we've now we've now got it right no celebrate the fact that we found it isn't this exciting news everyone 2013 (laughs) we found this tape (laughs) and if anyone says it was at the bottom of a box they're lying they are they're so wrong they're you know what these two podcasters are going to get online one day and make fun of this and we just would like to say for the record we didn't know it was there and we found it (laughs) (laughs) oh dearie me it is i mean it's a bit of a calamity of errors isn't it let's be honest yeah it's real bad (laughs) it's just not great a child's blanket um, a blue nylon jacket, a pair of jeans with the back pocket missing, and an empty surgical state depen- dispenser were also discovered by the investigators next to the remains. Um, with that, Tina's Tina Sharp's remains had been discovered, and that would make the crimes a quadruple homicide. Wow. I know. I know. Poor little Tina. So, what about subsequent developments? Well, there have been some interesting tidbits that have surfaced in the years since 1981. But before we get to those interesting tidbits, we're going to go for a little break. Uh, Carly, what do you think about a little bit of a break? I think that sounds great. Perfect. Wonderful. So go and have a drink. Go and have some food. Order a McDonald's. I'm not going to judge. I'm probably going to order a Fat Mackey's at the end of this recording anyway. I'm not going to lie. Um... (laughs) And we will see you back here in just a few minutes. Hey, creepy people. This is PNW Haunts and Homicides. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Cassie. Together, we explore stories of the paranormal and true crime throughout the Pacific Northwest. For each episode, we do a tarot reading to help us gain some insight on the topic as we share the facts of the case and our interpretations. You can find our episodes featuring true stories from infamous cases such as the misdeeds of Boeing, as well as lesser known true crime cases like the murders in Tunnel 13 as well as our spooky stories from Pike Place and Raven's Manor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you'd like to listen. Have Have a a creepy-ass day! Hello, Twisted Humans. Do you find yourself wanting to know more about the latest murder, conspiracy, cults, or haunting? Then this is the podcast for you. We're bringing the most intense stories that'll keep you up at night. He was found guilty of voluntary manslaughter and felonious assault, but he was only sentenced to 
five months of probation. And this would be the last time that anyone ever saw Fiona. Uh, there are allegedly two women who also drowned in the first class pool. Was this the same glowing green that they'd seen in the darkness the night before? He had refused to sit near the wagon cloth because of stains on it, which were most likely blood. Join us every Tuesday for a glass of wine or sangria and a dose of true crime. I'm Alicia. And I'm Sierra. And this is Twisted Twisted and and Uncorked. Welcome back, everybody, to part two of this befuddling unsolved mystery um, with absolutely amazing police work. No bad police work found here. Um, Yep. (laughs) <laughs> the best police work the best, best police, police work, work i've ever yeah. seen yeah i'm so impressed absolutely you know? um and i know exactly who's running so me and amy have like this character uh detective McClue, and he is he oh. is whenever there's bad police work we're like yeah this is detective McClue. he's running this whole operation yes. you know clearly because <laughs> he's a professional right he's like the he's like um the detective from pink panther that's that's McClue, like this befuddling detective. <laughs> With an over-large um, magnifying glass. That's the yeah. word. Sorry. I couldn't think of what it was called for a second. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, um, police work has been leaving a little bit to be desired, is, is fair to say. So um, we have some subsequent developments. Very exciting. Carly, are you ready to talk about these these new developments that have surfaced? I am so ready. I'm so ready. Awesome. Um, so uh, Marilyn Smart, um, who is the wife of uh, Martin, you know, who had the the wandering hammer, um, and you know, yep. couldn't the believe missing it. hammer, the missing hammer that was not at all suspicious <laughs> at all. Um, so Marilyn would state in a 2008 documentary about the killings that she believed her husband um, and his friend John Bo uh, Bubade or Bubid, Bubid, um, whom author Robert Scott incorrectly identified as John Budi, were actually behind the killings. So there really was two of them. I don't know. <laughs> don't know what happened in that marriage. <laughs> in that marriage, um, you know, to to. Uh, Go on a documentary up. and say, <laughs> yeah, pretty sure my shitty ex-husband murdered a whole bunch of people with his friend and yeah. his missing hammer. Marilyn would state that she left Martin um, and uh, and John um, at a neighborhood bar on April the 11th, 1981, about at about 11 p.m. and went back home to get ready for bed. Um, she claimed to have awoke at 2 a.m on April the 12th to discover the two consuming an unknown unknown substance uh, in the wood stove. Um, She also claimed that Martin, uh, quote, hated Johnny Sharp with a passion. Um, Sheriff Doug Thomas claimed to have personally spoken with Martin and that he had passed a polygraph test um, in the 2008 documentary. Um, It's worth noting, however, uh, one, a polygraph test is not even admissible evidence in court, for one. Um, and two, Martin was close friends with Sheriff Thomas. Oh, well, 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 the plot well, well, thickens. Well. 
Yeah. Well, the plot thickens. Maybe your missing hammer didn't matter because you're friends with the person questioning you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, isn't, that, isn't that a conflict of interest? Like... I was thinking that, but you know, who, who am I to judge? Just kidding. That's literally my full-time hobby. <laughs> <laughs> Give me things to judge. 100%. Um, <laughs> yeah, Martin's looking a, a little bit a little bit suspicious on that one. Looking a little sus, you Looking know. A little sus. There's there's no good things for Martin and his missing hammer and his friendship with the sheriff. Um. So so if you thought that chestnut was uh was was good, oh, you wait until you hear this, Carly and listeners. This is uh this is a doozy. Um. The Sacramento Bee reported in 2006 that immediately after the killings, Martin had left Keddie and drove to Reno, Nevada. Oh, that's also not suspicious <laughs> at all. Just, no. goodbye, I'm leaving for Nevada now. <laughs> uh, I know that people were just murdered and I was questioned. Uh, bye. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but if you enjoyed that, then you're going to love this. Um, from Reno, Nevada, he would write Marilyn a letter in which he reflected on their personal problems and said, quote, I've paid the price of your love and now I've bought it with four people's lives. Um, oh. I'm sorry. That's a written down. That's a handwritten letter. That's a handwritten letter. That's a handwritten she, letter that she was in possession of. Oh no! So that's a handwritten letter that uh, was missed in the preliminary investigation and was never admitted oh. as evidence. Oh my god! What? Come <laughs> on! Um, I didn't think that it could get any worse. That's literally a letter. I. I paid the price. I yeah. borne the price of your love. Okay, my guy. You yeah. sound like a real shitbag. <laughs> oh god, absolutely. Absolutely. Um You go on, you 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 go on and go on that documentary. <laughs> I hope you got paid for it, girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh also, as as stated earlier in the episode, um as a as a little cherry on top of this just shit Sunday of, of very very bad policing um the tape of the anonymous tip regarding tina uh uh was found in case files sealed case files untouched by plumas county sheriff's department until 2013 when the case was reopened with new investigators uh greg hagwood and mike gamberg so yeah we mentioned that earlier but i just wanted to throw that in there again so uh, later, um, the initial investigation's caliber would be questioned um, with the new investigators claiming, quote, you could take someone just coming out of the academy and they would have done a better job. I mean, I 100% agree with <laughs> yeah, that. I am, not, I am not a police official. <laughs> I have zero training. But I've watched enough true crime that I am convinced that I could do a better job than they have done on this. And that should say something because you don't want me investigating anything. I'm ADHD as shit. <laughs> if I think, if I believe in my capabilities enough to say I could run that investigation better, then they should be embarrassed because. Seriously. <laughs> oh, honestly. Wow. <laughs> honestly. Um, every, every like true crime fan um or other true crime podcast that is listening to this has literally like given themselves a concussion because all they've done this entire episode is bang their head against the wall 
<laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's how I feel internally. Like, what the fuck? After one after another. First, the murder was like murderers. Yeah, terrible, just disgusting. And yeah. then officers. Ah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, also, side note. If you have concussed yourself by banging your head into the wall, I'm well, I'm not claiming responsibility for that. I'm sorry. I don't have the money to pay for your hospital bills, unfortunately. Also the same. I'm super broke. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so uh, a counsellor whom Martin regularly visited also alleged that he had admitted to the murders of Sue and Tina. Um, but claimed, quote, I didn't have anything to do with the boys. Um as Tina had, quote, witnessed the whole thing, he allegedly informed the counselor that she was murdered in order to keep her from recognizing him. Unsurprising. I was like, yeah, that, I, I, that's probably why Tina was killed, unfortunately. Um, yeah, if he was their neighbor. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, would, that, that would make an awkward sort of, like, neighborhood barbecue, wouldn't it? Yeah, yep. that would, wouldn't. Mm. Well, remember how he <laughs> killed, like, almost all of my family that one time <laughs> <laughs> but Bummer. tina look at these quarter pounders yeah let's, let's have some burgers <laughs> can i get extra fries <laughs> <laughs> he goes and grabs the hammer <laughs> like, extra fries oh, extra what tina <laughs> yeah <laughs> so in june 2000 um martin smarts would Unfortunately, passed away in Portland, Oregon, um, from from cancer. Uh, John uh, Boobied, um, I think I still butchered that, but I'm going with Boobied. That that's... sounded like boobies that time, and I was here for it. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, uh, old John, um, who is said to have been connected to organized crime in Chicago, of all things, would pass away there in 1988 um so uh on march the 24th 2016 uh plumas county special investigator mike gamberg found a hammer in a nearby pond that matched the description of the hammer that martin uh claimed to have lost um and would How take handy. in i know right as evidence um uh, the uh sheriff um county sheriff uh hagwood who was 16 years old at the time of the murders and knew the Sharp family personally, stated, quote, the location it was found, it would have been intentionally put there. Uh, it, would, it would not have been accidentally misplaced. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about that, seems Martin? pretty true. <laughs> <laughs> How did this get here? In the lake, where you misplaced it. Yeah, exactly. Also, that must have been a very detailed hammer report to be able to recognize it after it had been in the water because it probably would have been all rusty and shit. Like, yeah. you know, and did yeah. we have more details about Martin's supposed lost hammer than actual evidence collected at the crime scene? Because it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. Like, and um, obviously, when I, you know, put this up on YouTube, I'll, I'll sort of splice in photos, but. Um, the hammer, I've seen a photo of the hammer because obviously I, I looked it up when I originally did this episode um, and it was rusty as fuck so I don't know how they got anything from it 
<laughs> I know what this hammer is. This is Martin's hammer. This is Martin's hammer. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for the person that found it. Um, yes. You know, <clears throat> again, shakes head at law enforcement. Yeah, exactly. In this case. <laughs> 100%. 100%. Um, so, uh, Gamberg also stated that at the time, six potential suspects were being um, looked at. He also stated in 2018 um, that DNA evidence recovered from a piece of tape at the crime scene um, actually matched that of a known living suspect. Um, so, that throws a bit of a spanner into the world. It does. It does. It does. Um, so while the case does remain unsolved, there is one um, prevailing theory, and it's kind of juicy. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. You ready, Carly? You ready to feel this juicy theory? I am theory? ready. I love a good juicy theory, so I'm, yeah. I'm living for this. Um, it, it's a bit juicy, guys. I'm even saying this right into the camera. It's a bit juicy. Um, the most widely accepted theory involves a love triangle between Martin, Marilyn, and Sue. Um, yes. A dun, love dun, affair. Oh. <laughs> a love affair that ends in murder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like it. So... Sue was allegedly coaching Marilyn to leave her husband, um, who she had claimed was abusive to her. Um, however, it was believed that Martin and Sue were actually having an affair. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. He just wanted to get dicked down and his wife was getting in the way. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know. Um when Martin did learn of this, he asked Bo, a friend and well-known mafia enforcer. There you go. Um, There's another mafia tie. That's right. scary. Um, who had moved in with the Smart family just 10 days before the Keddie killings to, quote, remove Sue from the picture. <laughs> wow. <laughs> right. The mafia hit. This escalated quickly. I mean, I knew it ends in horrific murder, but wow, mafia hit. Yeah. Um, um, so obviously this would explain Marilyn's separation from her husband on the day the murderer uh, the murder was discovered. Um, additionally, it would also explain why the child from Smart and the other sharp boys from the adjacent room were left entirely unharmed. Uh, it also provides background for the note that Martin wrote and Marilyn gave to the uh, Plumas, Plumas Sheriff's Department. So yes, uh, in answer to your earlier question, Carly, she did indeed give that note to the police. They just didn't bother to actually do anything with it. Wow. Wow. It's almost like this could have been solved years ago. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's wild. It's unbelievable. Oh my goodness. <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, some detectives who took up the investigation when it was revived in 2013 link the murders to an even bigger scheme. Um, to Gamberg, it is clear that the Department of Justice um, and the Thomas Run Sheriff's Department, quote, covered it up is the way it sounds. Yeah, it does sound like a 
uh, it does absolutely reek of a cover-up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely reek of a cover-up. To bottom. This is this is not, you know, it doesn't look good for anyone involved in this case. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Oh, oh wow. <clears throat> absolutely not. Um, he asserts that Bo and Martin were part of a broader federally involved narcotics trafficking enterprise. Um, Bo, uh, as we said, was associated with um, Chicago crime syndicates. Um, you know, definitely uh, the Chicago crime family. I don't know if there was any others he was involved in, but he, he was part of the Chicago mob. Like, I think that is pretty clear. Um, that had financial stakes in the trafficking of drugs. And Martin was a well-known drug dealer. Uh, this may help to explain why, rather than sending homicide department agents, the Sacramento Department of Justice sent two allegedly dishonest organized crime special agents. It also uh, explains oh why... God. <laughs> it, it also explains why Sheriff Thomas instructed the two main suspects to conveniently leave town and appear to grant them a complete pass wow. yikes <laughs> oh. wow wow <laughs> i just feel like that can't be emphasized enough wow yeah 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 100 like it's just that was like three separate just well what the fuck is going on here yeah just like in a row in a row i'm sorry what <laughs> over and over again yeah wow yeah that's terrible um, uh, so despite the fact that Bo and Martin are now both dead, fresh DNA evidence has led detectives to, um, other people who may have been involved in the killings and who are still alive. Uh, the were fact... they actually involved or was that cross-contaminated as fuck? That's what I'd like to know. I mean, yeah, it was probably. It would be great if they were still alive and could be caught. I'm yeah. not saying it would be great. I, I, oh, I know what you mean, but I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if there was some contamination. Um, the fact that new evidence uh, gives light on what might have happened at Cabin 28 in Keddy, California, uh, means that this crime may not be a cold case after all. Uh, dun, 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 dun. And that is the unsolved case of the Keddy Cabin murders. Um, I think I know the answer to this, Carly. Um, our man Martin. He seems pretty suspicious. I can't oh, say yeah. if it is a. It, I can't say if it is him or not. But if you had to say yes or no, what you what would you go with? I would say yes to Martin. Like, is this circumstantial? Yeah. Could there be ex explanations? Yeah. But also, come on, my guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I would say yes. I can't believe he wasn't questioned more just like a across the board. Yeah. What? Yeah. How? How? Yeah. 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 No, I would yes immediately. <laughs> if I was on that jury, I would vote to convict. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like obviously I would I would be like, yeah, it was him. Um, you know, like you said, it's it's circumstantial evidence. But um, you know, it only has to be, um, oh, what's the, what's the phrase? Um, 
beyond a, it only has to be beyond a reasonable doubt um yep so i think there's what there is there's lots of reasons a to lot think he of did. reasons to think that, <laughs> that he did it there's, um so yep yeah wow well done that was terrible i loved it <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of feedback i want from people i want people to be like that was fucking atrocious but that i loved was it terrible. i loved it, <laughs> I loved it. what a horrible story um oh, so good and have you ever seen so much just a mixture of shit police work and no police work <laughs> it, it truly is was... wild oh my gosh this case was this case should have been huge and should have had every man on deck working to solve it yeah how nope yeah oh yeah wow just conflicts of interest like stuff that just wasn't being done stuff that just gets missed and like stuff that you're like how is it even it, possible ugh. to miss that um yeah how is it possible to miss that also how was it impossible how was it possible to make like every single wrong choice that entire step of the way <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow yeah that takes that takes some special kind of skill to to do that. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Cool. So, uh, before we before we wrap up, uh, Carly, uh, would you like to let the lovely people know where they can find you on socials and where they can find your book and and all of that good stuff? Yes, um, you can follow me at Carly K A R L Y dot Latham on all platforms. I'm not really on Facebook, but you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, you know, look for me. I'm there. Um, but I would love it if you would, if you enjoy psychological thrillers, psychological spicy thrillers. Yes. <laughs> um, Don't forget the spicy. Don't, Don't forget, forget the, the spicy. The spice, <laughs> spice is the stuff of life and it is contained <laughs> in my book. It, a delicate balance of terror and spice. And I'm very proud of it. <laughs> Um, it's called A Collection of Eyes and it's available on Amazon. Um, and the anthology that I helped put together is also going to be on Amazon on September 18th. So please keep your eyes out. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um as for as for me, um, as always, if you enjoy what what me and Amy do, um, then there are ways that you can support us. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at horrorhouse underscore pod. Um, can uh, follow us on your podcast app of choice as well. Um, you can also subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, we've got a nice little community over there on YouTube. And if you haven't joined, please do. You get to see mine and Amy's lovely faces. If you want to support us financially, there is the buy me a coffee link. We are and we will always be struggling content creators um, that would be forever grateful if you could buy us one coffee or two coffees or if you're feeling very generous 10 coffees granted that's still not going to be a massive amount but Amy loves coffee so if you bought Amy 10 coffees I think that she would love you forever um, she'd be thrilled she would be absolutely delighted um, but yeah, if you want to support us financially, buy me a coffee is a great way to do it. It's a one-time donation. It's not a monthly subscription. You can just throw us a coffee. 
which is like three quid. And that's it. That's all you got to do. Happy days. Carly, thank you for coming on. Um, it has been Anytime. an absolute blast. Um, I'm glad that you liked our disgusting, um, just, just mind-boggling, headache-inducing, stressful episode. Um, but it's been Great. a blast to record, as always. Um, thank you for coming on again. Um, Anytime. Anytime um, you need someone to wildly judge what's happening in your girl. <laughs> um, please follow Carly on Instagram. Buy her book. Support her. Um, she is a lovely lady. Um, so give her all the love that she deserves. Um, please. <laughs> and uh, now, all that's left to say from me until next time is, as always, stay spooky. Oh.